What's up, Bodybuilding.com listeners? My name is Danielle Bitts, and today I'm joined by Nikki Davila. Nikki is a registered dietitian and has a master's degree in nutrition. She's been practicing dietetics since 2014 and is a current Bodybuilding.com athlete. She partners with her husband, Gavin, online fitness coach and fellow Bodybuilding.com athlete to help others achieve their fitness and nutrition goals. She enjoys providing nutritional guidance across her blog and social platforms and has a passion for helping others achieve a healthier relationship with their body and food. Her specialties include weight loss and exposing common nutritional myths while ditching diet culture. Nikki, welcome to the Bodybuilding.com podcast. Hi, thank you for having me. I'm very excited to be here. Today's episode is brought to you by Feastbox Meats. Weekly meal prep, hitting your macros, and getting clean protein can be challenging, expensive, and time-consuming. The Feastbox Protein Pack presented by Bodybuilding.com promises a healthy, easy solution for hitting protein goals on a daily basis. Choose from 100% grass-fed and pasture-raised chicken, beef, or pork, all season fully cooked, chilled, and sealed with zero additives. The protein pack is delivered straight to your door and has over 30 grams of protein for as little as 2.23 per serving. Ready to eat in just two minutes. Order now at bodybuilding.com. So to kick things off, I think it's extremely important to differentiate between a nutritionist and a registered dietitian. You yourself are a registered dietitian. Break down what that means for our listeners as, as a starting point. Right. There's a saying that we always love to say that every dietitian is a nutritionist, but not every nutritionist is a dietitian. Um, as a dietitian, you can be called a nutritionist. Uh, that's an RDN, or you can just be called an RD, which is a registered dietitian. But if we get into what the actual definition is of a nutritionist, that could be somebody is very enthusiastic about nutrition, fitness. It's from personal experience that they wanna help others, as well as they might've taken like an online course and now they have a certificate. But if you're a dietitian, a whole different route ensues where you have your master's, uh, your bachelor's, your master's as of 2024, you go through a dietetic internship, which is 1,200 hours of supervised practice where you're in nursing homes, you're in the hospitals, you're in community, you're with kids in school districts. Uh, you gain that experience that you know a nutritionist just doesn't have. As well as after that, once you pass all of that, you then get to sit for your national exam as a registered dietitian. Thanks for breaking down the difference there. I think that's super important. We've got a great episode queued up for you guys today. A few of the many things we'll be covering include achieving your weight loss goals, fasting, the why behind protein, and why carbs are not the enemy. So let's jump into it with topic number one. Uh, this is this is often a big one for, for everybody out there, right? Weight loss. So we're going to break down all things weight loss. Um, it's pretty easy to learn that you specialize in weight loss, Nikki, as one, as one comes across your social pages in a society that places so much emphasis on on weight loss with it still remaining as a number one fitness goal. What prompted you to one, approach nutrition, right? But then two, fall into the niche world of weight loss. I have found even through childhood, I had a very wonderful upbringing around nutrition, the importance of it. And I carried that through school. And I remember looking at a college catalog and um, I am absolute no interest in anything else. And when I saw nutrition, I was like, that's, that's it. That's for me. So the journey started to begin from there, but it's also a lot of personal experience and a lot of dietitians, not speaking for all of them, but we go into it because we have our own 
let's say issues around food or maybe personal experiences and through learning so much about nutrition I helped myself struggle with disordered eating and emotional eating and struggled with weight loss myself so when I had that knowledge and experience I became very passionate so instead of just having those cooking videos on social media I really wanted to bring light to the struggles of weight loss and that emotional connection. Awesome. So let's let's take it from step one, right? Let's dumb down losing weight. Forget the fads, forget the restriction diets and overly obsessed tracking, especially with how many devices live out there today. What are, say, the top three things someone should be doing um, to originally set out on their, on their weight loss goal? Yeah, uh, I love that question because I know everyone thinks, like, if I just started today, what do I need to do? And then they look on social media, they find 20 million things that they want to do, and they're quickly overwhelmed. So the first thing I always say is to journal what you're eating and that why behind it to include your emotions and not just follow calories or macros. Because if you tell somebody to, rather than journal, you tell them to track it, and they go onto an app like MyFitnessPal, they track their calories, but they have no idea why they're eating what they're eating, and they're more so focused on the numbers right away rather than what they're eating and the nutrients they're providing for their body. So journaling your diet, start to learn about yourself. Uh, From there, number two would always be to move more. I think as a society, we do not move enough. And we think that, you know, sitting all day at your nine to five and then going to the gym for an hour is sufficient, but we should be moving more throughout the day, but enjoying your movement, not just exercising more, but going for more walks or doing things that you enjoy. I think that is a very, very important part of fitness that a lot of people miss, especially when it comes to weight loss. And the last one is to focus on your habits and not just a diet. So I love to say to my clients that a healthy lifestyle is made up of several healthy habits. So in essence, if you're following and tracking your habits, then from there, you can learn about yourself. You can change your habits because your current lifestyle is basically Whatever you're not happy with, it's your current habits that you want to change. So from there, if you were to reflect upon what are my habits, how can I change them? How can I improve? And then from there, you can create a lifestyle you want. But going from diet to diet is not going to help you. You're kind of ignoring your habits and just kind of focusing on the end goal, which is weight loss rather than habit change. So say someone has implemented these three tips, right? They've maintained consistency, which is a huge factor in any goal that that someone's looking to achieve, right? Let's talk about hitting plateaus, right? We like to say the first five pounds are usually the easiest, which is there's some truth behind that, right? Um, So what happens after the first five? How do we get to 10 to 15 and beyond and break past the plateau that so many face? Yeah, so when you are in a weight loss plateau, you have to kind of give it that outside look and perspective rather than being so focused on things you're doing, maybe there are things you aren't doing, kind of reassessing your journey where you currently are at, as well as your expectations. Because if I was to give the generic answer of yes, focus more on your calories, more on your macros, what about your physical activity? Are you moving enough? You know, those three habits that I was talking about previously is very important, but also understanding that you are gonna lose weight a little bit quicker in the beginning, like you said, but it's gonna slowly trickle from there. Maybe you lost 15 pounds within the first month and then after that you're losing half a pound, a pound a week, or maybe a month, but your body's changing in many different ways. So kind of relying on patience as well as discipline because in the beginning you could be so motivated and then at the end, you know, it's that discipline that drives you through. So, you know, asking yourself, are you in a weight loss, pla- weight loss plateau? Are you really focusing on your habits, you know, did you try everything, you know, what can you change and really just reflect, give an honest answer before you just say, oh, I need to cut my calories more.
Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, any disruption to a routine, good or bad, is going to come with that change, right? So if you've been a pretty sedentary and you say, okay, I'm I'm going to go out there, I'm going to walk X amount of steps, I'm going to get to the gym every single day, and you severely disrupt that routine that maybe you've been following for the past several months or years, right? Your body is going to quickly say, okay, like we're changing, right? And it's going to pick up on that change. Now the body's going to also adapt to that change in the next month, two months, three months. So maybe you see great success in those first three months. You're crushing it. You're amped on the new routine that you implemented. But then you say, oh, my gosh, I'm stepping on the scale and nothing's continuing. You know, the weight isn't continuing to drop, right? How do we look at other pieces, other external factors such as stress, sleep, um, things outside of the kitchen, outside of the gym in terms of implementing, um, in terms of impacting our weight loss journey? Right. And I think that's a great topic to talk about because that's where stress um, specifically if you are stressed at work and we kind of push that aside like oh well I'm just more stressed than usual but no I mean your cortisol levels do go up and it's not that direct relationship that you're quote-unquote gaining weight or you know it it's not about that it's about that if you have increase in stress your cortisol goes up and then you're more likely to eat more so kind of honing in a little bit more on what's your stress how are you coping with your stress how are you managing that what about your sleep? Are you rest and recovery? And then what about your relationships? Do you have a supportive relationship? Um, are there any, is there anybody that's sabotaging your relationship or do you have a support system within the goal that you're trying to reach? So it is very important to kind of evaluate those as well because it's not just about calories in, calories out as a dietitian. It's, it's more so about your whole life and that whole approach. Yeah, the support system is huge. And again, that goes for those looking to run their first marathon or just looking to le- to lose those first five pounds, you know, especially if you're trying to be a little more disciplined in the kitchen and say your partner is going to, uh, let's say, going a bit more rogue, right? Um, you know, it's, it's not to say they can't bring that food in the house, but I mean, that just that that support is so important for that for that aspect. Um, let's talk a little bit about fasting that is something that our audience is always wondering about and we've seen that come to rise and in fashion in the past five or so years right fasting is not for everyone right and i think that's an important road for us to go down right now i think it also differentiates between male and female i think it's going to play a role in what your specific goal is again right so let's first talk about how fasting can be helpful in a weight loss journey Right. So I believe in fasting to an extent, right? I think it can be beneficial to kind of look at your window and when you're eating and when you're not eating, because a lot of the times when I speak with clients, they have a lot of digestive issues. So we talk about, all right, what is your window? Are you eating right before bed and a, right before bed and a huge bowl of pasta and sauce and cheese, you know, is that disrupting your sleep, your digestion? Do you have acid reflux, heartburn? So more from a health standpoint, when I look at fasting, I'm trying to think more about digestion and how that can help somebody um, when you shorten your window just a little bit, but that does not mean fasting all day. That's a very different story. So it is very individualized and and how to approach that. So it is a very touchy touchy subject. Yeah, absolutely. I think that one plays into the three, two, one rule. Try not try to stop eating three hours before, drinking two hours before, and devices one hour before. I think that that's helped me personally a ton. I find, you know, say the day got away from me and my dinner's just a little bit later than it originally is, that will throw me off because my body it want, it's going to want to digest first before we go to sleep, right? Um, before the the brain can kind of turn into sleep mode. Um, how can it be gen- detrimental? How can fasting be, be detrimental to a weight loss journey? 
Yeah, so when uh, the main purpose of somebody that is fasting is cutting their window for weight loss, they're cutting their calories. And the biggest thing is that it does promote somewhat of an unhealthy relationship with food because it's seen as a punishment. Like, oh, now I have to fast till this time because I ate this last night. And that relationship is never going to bring you to the success or the body of your dreams because it's not sustainable, those types of thoughts with weight loss. So it is very important if somebody was to fast uh, all day long or maybe they fasted breakfast because they felt like they needed to punish their body because of whatever they ate previously, they're more likely to binge at night and that's when they're going to engage more in emotional eating. So it's not my best technique for weight loss, but it is important, I think, fasting just to be ca- just to be cautious of what you're eating when you're starting your day, when it's ending, digestion and so on. Yeah, absolutely. Digestion being the the kind of key motivator here in terms of implementing a fasting routine. You know, say you're say you're doing let's say 11 a.m. to 7 p.m. right you can still eat the same amount in that window right what you're trying to do as you said is you're trying to shorten that window you're trying to not be eating from 7 a.m. to maybe 8 p.m. because your body's then taking that that energy to digest the entire day so what you're really trying to do is just to shorten that window can you still eat 2,000 plus calories <laughs> in that window yes you Definitely. absolutely can um, but I you know I I like to look at fasting as a helpful tool and, and not mm-hmm. the end-all be-all, especially for weight loss. Let's talk about um, fasting being a helpful or even detrimental tool for, let's say, athletes, right, outside of the weight loss journey. Obviously, the same probably applies. It can certainly be detrimental if an athlete is under-fueled, um, but then it can also be helpful if they are experiencing um, digestion issues as well. Right, correct. So, I mean, there's that fine line and balance, and of course, it's based on your training intensity when you're training. So if you're fasting and you have a big meet or you're training in the morning, but you fasted since 6 p.m. the night before, obviously you're not gonna have enough nutrients and glycogen stores to help you know, with your performance. So it is very important that if somebody is experiencing digestive concerns, there are so many things that you can look at. What you're eating, you know, what are the nutrients you're getting, your portion size, what's your meal frequency. So. There are a lot of different variables that I can go into digestion, and that could probably be a talk all on its own. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. So big takeaways for fasting, you know, we're using that more so as a tool, especially aiding in digestion, and really more so it's about shortening that window and, and, you know, using it as a disciplined tool on your weight loss journey. Let's talk about the word detox. This word, I feel like this, for you, this could be an episode in in, in and of itself, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Sometimes, or all of the time, more likely, this word can be quite triggering. Um, You know, what's your stance on detox cleanse claims, whether that's through liquid diets, supplement aids, et cetera? There's so much out there. I could could whip out a list right now, but let's let's break that down and (laughs) what what that means for you. Because I think what's always so funny, you know, what I always tell people and what I've, I've told clients in the past as well is, you have organs. They are doing the work for you, right? But again, yes. let's kind of let's break that down. Let's break down how your body acts as its own detox system, but then also break down the negative um, stigma we've seen, you know, arise from this word detox in the nutrition and fitness industry. Right. So, I mean, you said it, your body is detoxing every day and that's specifically the liver, but there are many other organs that are doing that as well throughout the day that we don't realize we don't give our bodies enough credit. So when somebody says they want to detox, I am a little bit more weary because I'm worried about maybe they are going through some health issues. So their answer they think is, oh, I have to do a full body detox. I need to 
eat this type of mud from another country because it's going to, you know, pull certain ions or, you know, whatever <laughs> I've seen on TikTok. But those are just some examples of we will go to extremes before kind of addressing our health concerns. So I think it's a perfect segue from what we just talked about with digestion. That's the main reason why people are looking for detoxes. Maybe their skin isn't as clear. Or maybe they have bloating, gas, nausea, you know, all of the above, and they're looking for something to cleanse their system. Um, so I I can understand why somebody who's frustrated wants a detox, but you don't have to go to those extreme lines and invest in all these expensive supplements or liquids just to have your body do what it needs to do. It's more so about, you know, what are you eating and what are the nutrients that you're providing to your body so then your body can actually function properly. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, let's just, let's have a little fun here. I mean, let's talk about <laughs> some of the crazy ones that you've seen out there. You mentioned mud. I mean, obviously, you uh, know, juice cleanses um, are, are a big one as well. But what are some examples that you've seen out there? There was one, and I'm probably not going to do its justice because it was wild. Um, it was a foot bath with leeches to help excrete something. And I don't know if you know. <laughs> I have not <laughs> heard of that one. That one's new. <laughs> yes, my one of my clients asked me, and and, you know, I understand they're curious, so I would never tell my client, oh, my God, I can't believe, you know, you would say that to me. But sometimes we think the wildest things are going to be our answer. Like, that's the reason why I haven't been losing weight, because I haven't been doing this crazy cleanse that's going to change my whole life and my whole body. And I have to do it for, you know, a week and then I can eat again. Right. No. I've not been sticking my feet in <laughs> mud and water with leeches. That's it. Oh my no, goodness! You yes. know, and, and not you know, the, and the problem too. It's just, there's just so much misinformation, and mm -hmm. you Google weight loss these days, and these are the type of things that are coming up. So you can't necessarily blame individuals out there for no. thinking that, right? The best that we can really do is provide, you know, the guidance and and let them know it can it can be much more simple than you're making it out to be right yes. um you know let's clean up the diet let's you know get into a good movement routine let's get that sleep and stress under control and really when you're looking at those four pillars i mean at the end of the day if you can check those off like you're going to start noticing some change um protein we're going down the list here guys we're going down <laughs> the ultimate weight loss list so so far we've talked about um you know the top three tips for starting your weight loss journey we've talked about hitting plateaus fasting detox let's transition into protein everybody listening i'm sure you'll love this one so let's talk about the role that protein um, does have for losing weight and why following a protein forward diet whether that's through animal based or plant-based right mm -hmm. but just all around protein forward diet is important for weight loss Right. I think what the what the average person doesn't know, especially somebody when I'm a nutrition expert and I'm talking to somebody about protein, they don't realize that our body at some point starts to biologically break down naturally. And along with that, we lose muscle mass. So especially as we get older and every decade, we are losing more muscle than we've ever had before. And then it increases at an alarming rate when we're older. So body really starts to transform. And that's a lot that can be due to a lot of hormonal changes that again, naturally occur in the body. So it is very important to prioritize protein because it's gonna help you maybe obtain or maybe just even maintain that lean muscle mass that you have to carry you through. And the best thing about protein is that, I mean, especially if you couple that with strength training, you can definitely gain more lean muscle mass, but it allows you to have a little bit more freedom and flexibility of what you get to eat because you are burning a little bit more calories. Um, as well as it gives you that shape that you're looking for. You know, everyone tries to eat less to lose weight, but protein is then going to give you that nice 
shape as a woman you're not going to get big and bulky from protein and lifting weights you're going to have a really nice shape and you're going to you know in turn love your body so protein is so important i my personal experience i thought like oh i don't need protein i can i can achieve the body of my dreams and then i quickly learned that that wasn't a possibility i was in the gym training and i was just spitting in the wind so when i started to have more protein it really did change my body you made a great point for women specifically i you know historically let's say looking at the past 20 years right it's always not always but the you know perception is i'll have some salad Mm, right mm -hmm. um i'm just gonna eat you know veggies super super light um very very low cal no carbs etc we'll get into carbs in a second but protein has really taken off pro i'm saying this is protein's decade right yeah. now <laughs> they're <laughs> having, a moment. having a moment for <laughs> sure and for for all genders for all you know um, walks of life and, and i love it because one protein's going to keep you fuller um, of it's, course it's, you eat uh, you know a plate full of protein you're going to be a bit more full satiated right mm -hmm. right um two it also allows you to look at it from a positive mind frame so if you can just kind of start your day saying all right i'm going to have one gram of protein per pound of body weight or i'm going to hit x amount mm -hmm. of protein for my day as opposed to saying oh my gosh i can't exceed you know, uh, 1,700 calories or 2,000 calories, et cetera, it kind of flips that narrative and puts a much more positive spin on it is, is what I've found. Yeah, I, I tell my clients that the biggest change and the more success they'll have when they think about their diet of what can I get to eat, not what can't I eat. So if I'm telling a client like, all right, we're going to start to work on your diet, we're going to implement some changes, and they tell me, oh my goodness, I can't have like chips anymore. I'm like, I never said that. I said, but let's focus on having more fruits and vegetables, right? Or protein as the example. And as they focus on that, prioritize that, they feel good, they feel satisfied, and then they forget about the chips. It's just not on the forefront of their mind. But if you go into weight loss thinking like, oh, I'm just gonna eat 1700 calories, that bag of chips is going to be right in front of your head thinking oh, you, you can't get around it, you obsess about it, you want it, and that's why it's so important to focus on what you can do rather than what you can't do. Yep, absolutely. Let's talk about protein sources. Um, not so much animal versus plant, but supplements versus whole food, right? So yeah. where does supplement play a role versus your whole food diet, things of that nature? Yeah, as a dietitian, I will always prioritize you know, natural states of protein, whether it's animal, plant-based, you can get a sufficient amount even with plant-based, which I think is so important for people to know as well. But supplements do have their role and supplements all it is is just supplemental to the diet. So especially if you have certain goals and you can't get to a certain number, if it's one gram per pound of body weight or maybe it's 1.2, whatever the number is, the supplements just help you reach there. And, you know, in the past, I think they were kind of looked down upon, especially with women. But now that, you know, you implement protein shakes and things like that, you can actually achieve your protein goals rather than thinking like, how am I going to eat 130 grams of protein of chicken? <laughs> it's terrible. Right. It certainly helps. I mean, whether that's just a quick 10 gram bar, whether that's mm -hmm. adding in, you know, a scoop of hemp seed and then you get 10 grams out of that, um, having that shake at the end of the day. And that's usually kind of, I make like a nice cream is usually mine. Oh, so love I that. do like the frozen bananas, a scoop of protein, some cinnamon, a little cacao. And that's, that's satiating one. It kind of cures that sweet tooth, but then I'm getting another 25 grams of protein at the end of my day, which is a great bump. Yeah. And I love that you're coupling that with nutritious foods too. Yeah. So I think that's really important to prioritize as well. Yeah. Absolutely. 
We just talked about carbs a second ago. Let's let's make this the main topic right now. Carbs or no carbs? That is the question. It certainly is. So a low-carb diet or a no-carb diet, otherwise known as keto um, some of the times, is often referred to as a quick way to shed weight. And while it can be helpful for a short-term term goal, it, let's talk about why carbs are a crucial macronutrient to include in our regular diet as a primary energy source. So one, Nikki, tell us what carbs do. Tell us by, you know, when we ingest carbs, tell us what a occurs in the body so when you die when you eat and digest a carbohydrate it turns into glucose which we call sugar in the body um, it can then be stored liver your muscles or it does go into your blood and the most wonderful thing about glucose or blood sugar that people don't realize is that you have sugar readily available when your body needs it for life for daily activities for your brain function so a lot of people really demonize carbohydrates but at the same time they are a main source of energy for the body and to be able to think alone is very important to have carbohydrates so it also can transport nutrients throughout the body as well to um, your organs your muscles as well as your nervous system so it's not just a carbohydrate it's something that actually helps us live our lives every day but again function at an appropriate level Tell us a little bit about how carbs do play a role in weight loss, right? So often people do um, go to a, a no-carb diet to, you know, lose those 5 to 10 pounds that they're looking to do. Mm-hmm. Um, tell us, one, how this can be helpful, right? Um, but maybe some stipulations that, that come along with it. And then, two, tell us if this is sustainable long-term. So do you mean a no-carb diet or a limiting-carb diet? Because they're... <laughs> so, well, let's, let's go down the difference. Break it down. <laughs> All right. So if you're limiting carbohydrates, that has such... There's many different meanings to that. You could just... You could before be eating a lot of carbohydrates, way too much. That's why you are gaining weight. So when you limit carbohydrates, you're probably eating more of an appropriate portion size. So that, I think, is beneficial. So when people say, like, oh, I'm eating no carbohydrates, sometimes they mean that they're just eating less carbohydrates. And again, they're eating what their portion size should have been in the beginning. Um, No carbohydrate diets, trying to think about if it's immediate and we call it a benefit is that, you know, you're going to lose some water weight. (laughs) That's that's the best benefit I could give you. But obviously, long term, that's not going to help you long term because you're going to eat a little bit more carbohydrates at one time, the water weight's going to come back on and that causes that fluctuation. Yeah, I mean, keto, I think keto's had its moment. I don't think it's necessarily on the pedestal that it used to be, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but maybe talk about some of the, the findings that we're now seeing surrounding keto that we, maybe we didn't know five, 10 years ago and why it's not sustainable for a long duration. Well, there's a couple things that came from a dietary standpoint. So whether they came out, you know, recently, but I feel like dietitians have always known. Um, for mainstream. For, yeah, <laughs> for mainstream. Um, the keto diet. So we'll start off first with cholesterol. I mean, I could have I could have a client that has high cholesterol and they go on the keto diet. And I, I would tell them if there's anybody that shouldn't be on the diet, it's you, right? Because a true keto diet is around 80% is fat. 80%. So a lot of people would tell me, oh, well, I'm just having, you know, monounsaturated or polyunsaturated, you know, the quote unquote healthy fats. But still with every monounsaturated or polyunsaturated, you're still getting saturated fat. And that's what contributes to LDL and high cholesterol. So that's probably the, the first thing that comes to mind is that you have to be very careful of your risk of cardiovascular disease, high cholesterol, and so on. 
Um, and then the second would definitely be digestion. I had never met somebody on keto that didn't have digestive issues because of the amount of fat that they were consuming. And it just, there's not enough of a balance and we need to provide our body with enough nutrients and micronutrients to have proper digestion. So to be having majority of your diet as fat is just, it's detrimental for long periods of time. Yeah, for those um, those out there who are on a keto diet who have found success, you know, before you come with the pitchforks, you know, <laughs> I think I think it's important to note that everything in moderation and everything is mm-hmm. case by case, and every single yes. body out there is different. Somebody could have success with keto. Mm-hmm. Somebody could feel the worst they've ever felt in their entire life on keto. Same for gluten free. Same for plant based, etc. Um, it's really about finding what works for you, um, and and you know, learning more about your personal body. Um, as opposed to, you know, seeing what's working well for others. You know, we talked about glucose and, and, and how carbs react in the body. So right now, a big topic in the industry is avoiding glucose spikes. So we are seeing people walk mm. around with monitoring devices. Mm-hmm. I think it's, you know, I think it's great that these devices are now widely um, becoming widely available to the general population. However, like anything, right, are we over monitoring at this point? Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, let's let's talk about why we need glucose spikes throughout our day. Because right now I feel like we're seeing some people wearing some of these devices. And again, they're great devices and it's great to have access to that information. But it seems like some people are saying, well, I'm trying to keep my glucose here. And for those who aren't watching, my hand is just going in a straight line Mm -hmm. level, right? Um, Let's talk about why glucose, you know, kind of the hills and valleys are important throughout anyone's day. Right. So that's what normal digestion of a carbohydrate is. So if anybody's confused out there, you should be eating a carbohydrate. It should be spiking. And then with time, it does go back down. It might go into a little bit of valley, but then you eat again and then it spikes again. So it's a very normal response. But spike means that it could be within the normal limits. It's not meaning that it's going to 300 because you just ate something. I mean, at that point, you might have an issue with prediabetes or you are diabetic. So it is important to have those spikes because that's what helps you with if you're an athlete and you're training again within normal limits um, as well as just an everyday person like we talked about before it helps with your daily activities your brain function so when you have that spike you're able to to move you know just to carry out your basic needs that you need to throughout the day if you were to be in a constant valley you wouldn't be healthy right there's no balance there so what i always tell my clients when it comes to blood sugar is that we learn you know when to eat carbohydrates what to eat it with and then from there you know they don't need to know the specifics about the number but if somebody does have a glucometer i mean they can use it as a a learning tool but they shouldn't be obsessing over the numbers you and I had a conversation uh, prior to this podcast mm-hmm. about, you know, you're, you're seeing exactly that. You're seeing people wear these devices, right? And it's now kind of causing them to spin out a little bit. And I think that's kind of the trend we've seen. I'm not going to name devices, but just mm-hmm. the rise in wearable technology over the last few years, it almost adds more stress, right? So what is a pattern that you've seen and what advice have you given to clients who maybe have access to this device or maybe any device, um, you know, not, not allowing that to kind of tailspin them out in terms of focusing on their journey? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, personally, I don't have any tools or devices I've given out, but I have, which I think is a slippery slope, is using like a a calorie tracking app. And then from there, you know, I have this kind of talk of this is your learning tool. We're learning about what you're eating. It's a way that you can track and then I can see on the other end, but it's not about the calories. It's not about the number. 
but still at the same time, I mean, you're human, you're still going to reflect on those numbers. So it, it, it actually takes quite a few sessions and conversations to kind of talk them through. And especially when they see results as well that, okay, I can focus on what I'm eating and not the specific number in the app and I will still see the results I want. So sometimes it's not just that one conversation that I have with clients, it's oftentimes a couple because when they're coming to me, they most likely have disordered eating patterns, which adding a tracker into it can be difficult. So sometimes I take all of that away and I just say, let's just journal and let's just focus on that. Just keep it basic. Mm -hmm. You know, um, oftentimes with these glucose monitors too, and you know, people are posting them to their stories, they're sharing them on Instagram, right? Um, They're saying, oh my gosh, I just ate this and look where I'm at. And I'm like, well, did you need to eat that at that time? So <laughs> let's talk about timing, the best time to consume carbs. So maybe, yeah, if you were going to go back and sit at your desk, did you need, you know, the bagel? <laughs> maybe not. But let, let's let's segue into uh, the consumption of carbs and how that plays a role in, in your schedule of the day. So historically, the American diet has had a good portion of, let's say, carbs in breakfast, right? Mm-hmm. Should this be more of a midday inclusion, dinner, end of day? Um, and then where does that play a role in an athlete's schedule? So one, let's just talk about timing of carbs. When should you be consuming carbs based off of your activity level right okay so uh, believe it or not i don't have uh we'll talk in general there is no specific time however what i like to talk about is consistent carbohydrates throughout the day at your meals at your snacks and then pairing them with protein and fats to help stabilize your blood sugar and that's what's going to help you not spike as high is what you're coupling that with so it is very important to really focus on more so the portion, you know, maybe the frequency you're having it, not so much the time, uh, because a lot of individuals say, well, like, oh, I can't have them in the morning. And well, no, you just fasted all night long. You need to have carbohydrates in the morning. Or, oh, I can't have them at night. Well, did you eat enough throughout the day? You know, are you wanting to eat a large portion size of carbohydrates at night because you were lacking throughout the day? How much are you having right before bed? So there are a lot of questions that come with that, but generally, Throughout the day, you should be having carbohydrates, meals, snacks, watching your portion sizes, as well as kind of coupling them, like I said, with protein and fats. And keeping, as you said earlier, keeping glucose in the body and not letting yourself, not letting the gas tank hit E, basically. Exactly. Yeah, you don't want that. You mentioned, you know, if somebody is fasting, do they want to maybe, does that first meal that they have, do they want to kind of be... Um, a little less generous with the carbs or do they want it to be a heavy carb meal when they're first breaking fast so if you are on e right if you're very very low in glycogen do you want to kind of go into that with your kind of i'm not going to say refeed meal but your first meal back after fasting do you want that to be higher in carb or do you want to be somewhere in the middle I would still suggest somewhere in the middle. Again, that's individual based on how we digest and absorb carbohydrates. But if you think, all right, great, I just fasted. So I get to eat all these carbs now. That's where the unhealthy relationship comes into play. So being really mindful of why you're doing that. Does your body need it? What is your training? Maybe you're not training. Are you going to go sit for hours? You know, a lot of variables there as well. What about refueling after activity level? Let's talk about whether that's a strength training session for an hour in the gym versus, you know, maybe something a little bit longer, like a two hour run or cycle. You know, how should we be implementing carbs to refuel after workouts? Yeah, great examples because athletes are going to need more that are more endurance. Sometimes my athletes are obviously fueling, as you probably know, fueling during your runs and things like that once it exceeds a certain time. Uh, But it is very important to have a generous amount of carbohydrates after endurance training, that's for sure. But I think where a lot of people go wrong when they're strength training is that, you know, you could work out for like an hour and a half, 
I mean, you're taking rest, which is great, right? That's great for a hypertrophy, but at the same time, you wanna be careful that you're not gonna say, oh, well, I just worked out, now I get to have this huge, again, bowl of pasta because I just had that, but maybe you weren't as active as you were. Should you be eating? Yes, of course, you should be eating carbohydrates, but again, having that balance and you know, having a balanced plate rather than thinking like, oh, I'm gonna go have like five bowls of cereal because I lifted so heavy. No, maybe we should have some chicken, some, you know, carbohydrates, whether that's a potato, rice, you know, some good complex carbohydrates as well as vegetables. Let's talk a little bit about refeed days. You and I spoke mm. about this, right? So for example, you know, there are some people out there who will be very, very low carb six mm -hmm. days of the week. And then that seventh day, maybe that's a Sunday, let's say they are eating a tremendous amount of carbs throughout the day. Is that beneficial? How does one really kind of understand if they should be implementing a refeed day? Again, you mentioned there is a significant, significant difference between going low carb, right? Versus going no carb. So kind of tell us what does refeed mean? Because I feel like that's a word that's used a lot. Mm. And, you know, is is a refeed day completely necessary dependent on which type of diet you're on? Yeah, so a refeed day is basically having glucose to replenish your glycogen store. So having more carbohydrates. Again, differentiate between an athlete, an endurance athlete, or somebody who's training or like triathlons. You're going to need some days where you're going to carb up and prepare for you know your event to increase your performance or enhance that so i think that's very important to differentiate between somebody who's following a low carb diet or a keto diet yes you can indulge in a refeed day but also being cautious of how much you need based on your training and what you're currently doing so it definitely depends on your training and your intensity um, duration for sure yeah it's a great point i also think we would be remiss if we left out cheat days, right? The cheat day, cheat, <laughs> days. cheat days. This has been around <laughs> for a long time, certainly as long as I've been working out. Um, <laughs> man, where do we start with this one? Because cheat days, cheat days are funny, right? Because same thing, um, if you've stayed super, super disciplined throughout your week, you did not allow yourself one single like chocolate chip, like mm. you did nothing mm -hmm. out of the, the routine. And now again, maybe I feel like Sunday is a big one, right? Um, mm. Especially in the fall, it's like football Sundays, they're getting all the food. Um, <laughs> but you know, tell us how, you know, maintaining discipline for those six days, uh, six days of the week, and then having a five thousand plus calorie day on a Sunday can have an impact on those six days that you just worked your ass for, right? Yeah. So cheat days, they're not my thing. Uh, I don't recommend them because you can very easily put all of the work you done. You know, from say it was Sunday, you did from Monday through Saturday. You ate on this really low calorie diet, or you you really stuck to your meal plan, and then on that Sunday you have a good, like we said, five thousand calories, right? you could very easily go right back into calorie maintenance just from a cheat day. And the biggest reason why I don't love cheat days, do I think you should enjoy a meal? Yes, I think you should. Again, being really cautious of that as well as how much you're having, but cheat days essentially, it creates an unhealthy relationship with food because if somebody who plans a cheat day then has something you know they're not supposed to have throughout the week, they're gonna think, man, I failed oh, I can't believe I did this. I, I didn't do this on my, my cheat day. What can I do that's going to help negate? And, and that's where that unhealthy relationship with food comes. So cheat days are, I, I understand <laughs> why people want to do cheat days and they want to be super strict and then they want to enjoy themselves on, you know, whatever day. But it, again, it just doesn't give you that healthy relationship with food. And I always like to tell clients, like, what if you had an event on Saturday? 
and not Sunday. Like that, and it disrupts their whole diet and their whole mentality. And they literally go into a panic mode because they're thinking like, oh my God, I can't eat anything when I go to this event, but Sunday I'll, I'll save everything for Sunday. And it's like, but that's not living your life. Yeah, absolutely. And kind of, that's kind of where the 80-20 comes into play, right? Mm-hmm. Just maintaining you know, your disciplined diet, making sure you're getting in a well-rounded, healthy diet, your fruits, your veggies, your proteins, et cetera. Yes, your carbs, right? Um, and then, you know, 20% of the time, maybe it's maybe it's 90-10 for some people, right? Yeah. You've been doing it a little bit longer, right? Yes. Um, but for beginners, you know, that 80-20, like be proud of that 80% and allow yourself to have, you know, a little treat on a Tuesday night or, you know, a Thursday afternoon. It's certainly going to, you know, help with your success as opposed to going down that 5000 calorie um, tunnel on a, on a Sunday afternoon. That's what diet culture really does miss is that, you know, we're so obsessed with restricting what we're eating, but the most success I see with my clients is when they start to allow foods, they no longer obsess about them. There's no more rules, no guidelines. They eat them when they want in their journey, but they also at the same time prioritize nutritious foods and they don't have to worry about cheat days or diets because they know they can have them. So that pressure's off. Absolutely. I think this uh, transitions us very well into our third and final topic for today, healing your relationship with food and emotional eating. So Nikki, as a dietitian, you help others have a healthier relationship with food and their bodies by educating the importance of fueling their body rather than restricting exactly as you just said. I think Mm -hmm. it's a great point. Diet culture has made us believe that achieving our dream physique can be done by punishing our bodies. Let's talk about some of the realistic reasons as to why people don't see success with their goals and what they can change or implement to hit those benchmarks. I think we just covered a little bit about it, right? Um, You know, that 80-20, you know, kind of avoiding Mm -hmm. the traditional cheat day. But first, let's define emotional eating. You know, what is a common way of eating you see with chronic dieters who have trouble um, achieving their goals? Right. So a lot of times when a client approaches me, they start talking about the diets that they've done. And what they don't realize is that they will try a new diet with literally 20 new rules to follow. Nothing that they want to do, but they just want to incorporate it for weight loss. And then they sweep all of their emotions to the side and under the rug. So when they do finally fail at their diet, you know, okay, I will say some do succeed, but you know, for the majority that do fail at some of these fad diets, they're really upset and they don't understand why, but they never addressed the reason why they're eating. And oftentimes that's due to emotion. So emotional eating is eating due to your current emotional state. Um, and that could be, well, and if it's eating towards your emotional state, it's, you're really ignoring your physical hunger. You're not really in tune with, are you hungry? Are you full? You're probably eating past fullness. You're probably eating because maybe you're bored, you're stressed, so out of emotion. Um, But at the same time, I think a lot of people don't realize what emotional eating is. They go, oh, I don't have that. Well, again, emotions are like boredom and stress, right? So it is very important to recognize that, you know, we're all susceptible to it, but what extent do we do it? And has that kind of been hindering our weight loss and our goals? Yeah, I feel like almost in a way, emotional eating has become kind of like a like a, a joking, like a running joke, mm-hmm. right? It's like, oh, it's fine. I'll just, I'm just, just gonna, gonna go, go emotionally, emotionally eat. eat. Yep. Right, right, <laughs> exactly. I, I feel like, I feel like we've all used it at some point, right? Cer- certainly years ago, but I mean, one, how do you really start to take this seriously, right? Or how do you kind of, you know, do the work that says, well, yeah, I actually am emotionally eating, right? And then two, you know, what are the steps that someone can begin to take to break this habit? So what are some recommendations that you have? Yeah, so, the awareness part of it again will always be journaling um i had somebody tell me one time which i loved is you know if you were to journal your whole day 
and your habits and then you were like well this is why I'm not productive it's because of these habits so let me change them and then you work on them because now you're aware of them and then you create this day and you journal your day again and you're very more productive you know you're way more productive and that's because of your journaling it just creates that awareness so if you are emotionally eating you should be journaling what you're eating and then the why behind it and then the scenario so once you have that awareness say a great example is you're at work you're at your nine to five and it's gosh, I remember these days, it was like three o'clock and I was tired. I was exhausted. I was stressed and I wanted chocolate. I wanted candy. I wanted an escape. But to me, I would just eat it and not recognize like that's because of all the emotions. So when you do finally pinpoint that scenario, you then can change it. So maybe you're changing your behavior. So instead of getting up to get, you know, a piece of chocolate from the cafeteria, you pack yourself a healthy snack, but maybe it does include a little bit of chocolate chip. So you still can get your chocolate fixed. So again, kind of having that awareness to kind of pinpoint the why, problem solve, and then, you know, implement that habit change. I found too, it's important to start to understand how you feel after you eat something. So for Mm -hmm. instance, if it's three o'clock in the afternoon and you did have say a candy bar instead of, I'm not going to say apple because I feel like those are just so aggressively different. It's like, well, I I don't want it. I don't want an apple and I I want my candy bar. Well, okay. Let's maybe like a a granola bar is like some chocolate on it. Let's go there rather than a green apple. Yeah, Yeah. there we go. Um, You know, that granola bar versus, you know, a straight up candy bar. Well, how did you feel? after the candy bar right did you actually get what you were looking for and the answer is probably not maybe for a couple minutes but like how did you feel in the next 30 to 45 to hour right Um, so talk about that a little bit about gaining that intuition of understanding how you're feeling after consuming specific foods right oftentimes when now you're aware that you're emotional eating then that's the next layer to it where if you're journaling and you write something down I usually tell my clients right before and then after what's the after state and a lot of the times they'll be like I felt really terrible and I felt like I I failed myself so through their journey of recognizing that behavior they get to learn like all right that's a behavior I don't want to continue because I just didn't feel great after and it wasn't just physically it was mentally because you know you weren't taking care of your body so it is very very important to be kind to yourself to have a lot of grace because this journey could take several years to accomplish but once you do understand your behaviors and your emotions and how you feel you know after eating certain foods or maybe you did something for yourself where you didn't eat that when we're talking about chocolate bar right you went for the granola bar instead you'll be elated you'll be so excited and you'll want to continue your journey so that's that whole emotional piece that is so important with everyone's diet I mean I don't care who you are it's so important to kind of recognize you know that our emotions are very closely tied to our diet yeah grace and patience they're they're equally at, p- at play when it comes to nutrition habits right similar to mm-hmm. you getting into a, a solid gym routine maybe you're going to run your first mile or you know s- squat for the very st- first time it's not going to happen overnight right. you're going to have mistakes along the way and again practicing that grace and patience it's it's going to go a long way um you know you mentioned food playing and playing a role in mental health and i want to dig into that a little bit before we go into our our final piece for today mm-hmm. um, Um, you know, how can food play a part in mental health Um, and also kind of inflammation as well? I think obviously those are two very different topics, but, you know, how can, you know, a diet that perhaps is causing you to live in this constant state of inflammation, how can that also play into one, your physical health and then two, your mental health? Right, of course. So, I mean, if you have a diet filled with processed foods and lots of sugars, you're going to have more inflammation in the body. Our body digests 
you know, natural sources of foods, fruits, vegetables, proteins, whole grains, with much more ease than something that is processed. So it is very important to recognize that when you're having something that's filled with vitamins, B vitamins, vitamin C, you know, A, D, E, K, all your fat-soluble vitamins, your body is going to digest it. You're going to feel good. It's going to be able to then, you know, go to its primary source of being able to reduce inflammation, especially like a, a fruits and vegetable diet. Why I talk about micronutrients so much and all the vitamins is that we don't realize that that's how we can heal ourselves, and that nutrition really can be the source of, you know, a lot of our ailments that we do need but it is very important to realize that you know inflammation and especially mental health they're saying can all reside in the gut so if you aren't eating things that you know do that (laughs) wonders for your body like that processed food or all that sugar and actually can impact your mood that mind-body connection and then therefore as well then you eat something maybe again quote-unquote off limits and then from there it causes more inflammation in that negative cycle yeah absolutely and there's there's a reason doctors today you you know especially doctors dealing with cancer patients right they're Mm -hmm. they're advising that they seek out you know diets that aren't going to cause inflammation there's you know they're telling their patients really cut sugar processed mm-hmm. sugar from their diet so let's let's talk about sugar i think that's an important piece too and let's talk about the difference of sugar coming from your <laughs> apple versus sugar coming from that candy bar right um there's processed sugar and then there's obviously natural sugar i think there are a lot of people out there like oh my gosh i can't have fruit no eat mm. fruit right so let's dive into this a little bit yes uh, that's probably the mix biggest misconception is that all sugar is bad but there are different types of sugar so will your body respond to processed sugar and fruit sugar the same probably you're probably going to have a spike it's going to respond you know pretty identically however how it's digested in the body and how it treats you is a very different thing so I love when I have clients coming to me and they tell me that they haven't had fruits in years and I'm like, guess what? Like you're gonna start eating fruits again and we're gonna take out the processed sugar that's in your diet because they'll say, oh, I'm not gonna do any sugar, I'm not gonna do any fruit and they won't have fruits and vegetables because that's an easy habit change for them because they haven't been having fruits and vegetables for years but then every once in a while they'll feel, you know, that that urge or temptation to food, they'll, you know, fall to that and then they'll have something that's processed. And I say, again, we're going to prioritize the fruits and vegetables, the sugar that's naturally, you know, able for your body to digest, you know, efficiently compared to something that is processed. And again, that's that mind-body connection where like you feed your body good food, you will respond really well, and then you'll feel good. And then that's what helps you continue with your journey. And what does process mean to you? I feel like there are a lot of people out there who oh, they, question. they don't understand, you know, well, what does that mean? I know it's, it's not a term that I love to use because <laughs> I used to blow people's mind in nutrition. We would learn that like a bag of spinach is processed because it was taken, anything rinsed and then put it in a bag, it's frozen, like everything's processed. But obviously, you know, fruits and vegetables like that, we live with some type of processed foods within our diet that is still considered healthy, but things that are all processed and manufactured, you know, whether it's in a plant or a base, whatever it is, that's where it kind of draws the line where it, it, again, something manufactured in a lab compared to something that's grown in a field, very different, very degrees of being processed. Right. A piece of candy versus a piece of fruit. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I always like to look at it. Well, did it come from the earth? I forget about, let's forget about the fact of what happened from that farm (laughs) versus your table. That's a whole different subject that we'll save for another time, Um, you know, especially by country. Right. Um, But, you know, 
did it come from a tree, the ground, et cetera? Mm-hmm. And asking yourself that question is like, just kind of almost kind of helps people realize like, oh, like, yeah, this is considered a whole food. You know, this came from, um, you know, an agricultural farm. Right. This came from a tree. This came from a bush, et cetera. Um, versus was it chemically or genetically modified t- in order to create this piece of food that I'm putting into my body? Yes, exactly. I love that. Um, okay, awesome, great stuff. We're gonna try out a mini segment at the end of this episode. We're doing some rapid fire false or fact with Nikki. Um, I'm going to list out 10 statements. She's going to state whether those are false or fact and give a brief brief ex- explanation behind those because those those social media trolls out there, we're, we're, <laughs> we, we know you're coming for it. So um, number one, Nikki, <laughs> breakfast is the most important meal of the day. Yeah, you start out with the best one. That was my favorite. Um, <laughs> I, I'm going to say fact with explanation. Um, I don't believe any meal is the most important, but I think so many people stopped eating breakfast, again, for reasons to lose weight and not really think about how can I in my diet provide my body with nutrients. So I love breakfast because when I introduce breakfast back into my client's day, then they have a healthy relationship with food. Number two, carbs lead to weight gain. Yeah, I'll keep this short. Uh, that's false. <laughs> Number three, eating right before bed can lead to weight gain. False. Four, are all artificial sweeteners are bad. False. Five, restricting calories leads to weight loss. So hmm, just a little sentence here. So yes, technically true, fact, right. However, there are many other variables. Number six, hydration has nothing to do with weight loss. That's false. Seven, all diets are bad. That's false. Eight, stress does not impact weight loss. Oh, it's very false. (laughs) Extra false. Nine, (laughs) losing weight just means eating less. False. 10, high protein can help with fat burn. Fact, we love protein here. We love protein. (laughs) Bodybuilding.com is presented by protein. (laughs) Today's episode is brought to you by Feastbox Meats. The Feastbox Protein Pack presented by Bodybuilding.com contains high-quality protein delivered right to your doorstep. We're talking locally sourced beef, chicken, and pork that is fully cooked, sauced, and seasoned. Just reheat and it's ready to eat in two minutes. The Protein Pack promises a healthy, easy solution for hitting your macros, weekly meal prep, and providing a clean energy source for you and your family. Start your order now at bodybuilding.com. You know, Nikki, before we wrap here, you know, number four really caught my eye. All artificial sweeteners are bad. I think this kind of plays into our process conversation, Mm -hmm. right? Um, Talk about artificial sweeteners. We're seeing a ton of new ones out there, I think, in the last couple of years, too. Maybe not new, but maybe becoming a little more mainstream, right? We're seeing stevia. We're seeing um, uh, monk fruit. We're seeing a couple others, right? Can you break those down a little bit? What should people perhaps be avoiding? What do you consider is like an okay you know especially if you know maybe it's like you're putting it in a drink and that you have twice a a week versus having it in every single meal break those down a little bit perfect so anything that's derived from a plant I'm okay with right I'm perfectly fine with that it's the other ones that can have adverse effects and you know some of my clients who have some type of artificial sweeteners like sugar alcohols can experience a lot of GI distress I think that's something really important to look at in your diet if you're having some digestive issues but if you're having things every once in a while, it's perfectly fine. Like you said, twice a week, not a big deal, especially even if it is an artificial sweetener that isn't quote unquote like the best. But if you're going to be having a little bit more often, I think the plant-derived ones are definitely the way to go. And what are some of the plant-derived ones? Like this, the stevia, the truvia, a lot of the ones, um, 
they'll have a little usually have a little leaf on their package <laughs> there you go look for the little leaf everybody. look for the leaf yeah it'll tell you if if it's derived from a plant it will definitely be on the label and i think that's important to know but i don't know i am a dietitian that believes in sugar and not so much artificial sweeteners like i want you to enjoy your food i want you to have sweets i want you to have things that you think are off limits but more so I want you to focus on your portion size and how often you're having it because you can have food and like we said it's so important to remember that in any journey you're in focus on what you can have what you can have and when you want to enjoy something you can enjoy it that's a great note for us to to end on today Nikki thanks so much for stopping by thanks for shedding light on some longtime controversial topics not only in our community but you know in the world of health and wellness tell our listeners where they can follow along for more info so my socials are at Nikki underscore the dietitian. Uh, we also have a website. My husband and I, as previously discussed, he's also a bodybuilding.com athlete. And um, that would be the rdncpt.com. Uh, you can find lots of good information. And like we said before, that's where I like to do my blog posts and just kind of get some sound nutrition advice in the world rather than whatever revolves in the uh, social media. Great. Thanks so much, Nikki. <laughs> yes. Thank you for having me. Thanks for tuning in to another episode here at bodybuilding.com. Stay tuned for more stories along the way. Uh, yeah. uh-huh. uh.